Well, good morning, everybody. Am I on? Yeah. Good morning, good morning, good morning. I hate to interrupt all this nicety going on, but I'm glad that you are here. Welcome to DCC. Uh, my name is Judy Deal, and I am glad that I am here. Pastor Jim has been taking us through numerous books in the Old Testament that are typically called the Minor Prophets. Again, these ancient books are not minor in terms of their importance. They're only shorter literarily, not unimportant in their contents. Today, however, I would like to turn our attention to a major prophet, Isaiah. The prophet Isaiah is not only just a major prophet, he is the granddaddy of the prophets. His book is the longest book in our Bible, 66 chapters long, written and edited, no doubt, over an extensive period of time. Found at Qumran, part of the Dead Sea Scrolls, the scroll of Isaiah, as you see up there, is 24 feet long. It's the longest scroll ever found at Qumran. Now, Pastor Jim said that he would be doing the book of Isaiah when we go into Advent in the fall. So I figure if we started this today, we could all be done by Christmas, right? I, I was also told that some of you are participating in the Bible Study Fellowship, and indeed you are studying Isaiah right now. So this is a perfect time to be looking at this fascinating book. The man Isaiah was from Jerusalem. He preached about 740 to 680 B.C. Now that is 700 years before Christ. Isaiah was anticipating the Lord's redemption and salvation of his people. However, Isaiah was preaching to the upper crust people of the city. He spoke to the educated, the intelligentsia, those who had great affluence and influence in the city that would become the capital of the nation. He gave severe warnings to those people who really needed to hear them, while he gave hope and comfort to those who had none. Isaiah is a book that reveals the full dimensions of God's judgment and his salvation. God is the Holy One of Israel who has to punish his rebellious people, but then he turns around and promises to redeem them. God's judgment may be delayed, but it is certain. The wrath of God towards evil is incomparable, unparalleled, undeniable, and frightening. Even so, an important part of our study of the prophets is to recognize how much the New Testament writers depended on the Old Testament. That is, so much of the Old Testament prophecies appears all over the New Testament. We get a much larger, richer vision of who God is and who Jesus is and their plans for their people when we see this interconnectedness between the Old Testament and the New Testament. Indeed, if we had no knowledge of the Old Testament prophets, we could not understand many passages in the New Testament. And as a prophet, Isaiah was, is mentioned more times by name 
than any other prophet in our Gospels. We discovered that God's word is as relevant today as it was to his people 3,000 years ago. God does not change. His promises and his plans for his people do not change. But what we also discover in reality is that people don't change very much either. You know that in today's world, people still seek power and prestige. They still sin and practice immorality. They treat each other miserably. We still have wars and crime, hatred and injustice, exploitation and abuse. And we see all of this in the sermons of the Old Testament prophets that we can easily transfer what they are saying literally to our society today. While Isaiah wrote primarily to the city of Jerusalem, we could apply his words to nearly any city in America today. Yet, we have to remember that God is a redemptive God. He is the God of faithful love, of vindication, of hope, and comfort. He never punishes irrationally or capriciously like the foreign gods did. His judgment is for the purpose of restoration. Just as caring parents discipline their children out of love and for the child's benefit, so God disciplines his children for the purpose of repentance and redemption. Most scholars divide the book of Isaiah into two halves, two parts. Chapters 1 through 39, the first part, is usually called the book of judgment, and that's what it is. The second part, chapters 40 to 66, are generally called the book of comfort, and there we find that too. The second half contains classic passages known as the servant songs, especially chapters 42 to 53. The servant in these chapters is probably known as corporate Israel, that is, the entire nation. It is a picture of ideal Israel, a faithful remnant of Israel. That is what Israel ought to be. But in other passages, it it is very explicit that the servant is one person, One individual, an innocent person, a servant, who suffers for the entire nation. This is interesting because it's not the military power that's going to save Israel, but through a suffering servant who will deliver all of humankind from prison of sin. This servant is one person, the Lord's Redeemer, who brings restoration not only for Israel, but for the whole world. Are you getting the picture? Many of you are already familiar with Isaiah 53, which is known as the premier messianic text of the entire Old Testament. The passage reveals the promises and the predictions by Isaiah concerning the coming Messiah. The beauty of Isaiah's poetry is unsurpassed in the Old Testament, and literarily it it rivals Shakespeare. 
It is extremely rich in its imagery and in its word plays. This is vividly seen in chapter 53 of Isaiah. These images of the suffering servant, the suffering Messiah, are all over the New Testament, in the Gospels, in Paul's writings, and yeah, even in the book of Revelation. Ultimately, God restores, redeems, and delivers all of humanity through the life, death, and resurrection of one man. When they looked back over Israel's history, the early Christians finally understood Isaiah's prophecies. They realized that Isaiah's words were undeniable proof that God's word is perpetually true, effective, and real. It was like a light bulb went on in their heads, and it all made sense to those early Christians. It all came true exactly the way that Isaiah said it would. As Pastor Jim would say, Christian believers are finally able to see the realities of the Old Testament prophecies, like Isaiah, and to see that final fulfillment of of, of God's plans. We must remember that history receives meaning from God's divine word, not the other way around. The other way around would be that God's word derives meaning from history, but that's not true. God's word gives meaning to history. The fulfillment of these Old Testament prophecies in the New Testament is proof that God does speak through human events, and he works in human lives with authenticity. And the same is true for us today. So let's investigate the obvious and the not-so-obvious Connections between the Old Testament and the New Testament, between the prophet Isaiah and the Gospel of John. Now you have to follow me on this because I'm going to be jumping back and forth between 700 years B.C. to 90 A.D. As a result, we are going to learn a lot about who Jesus is, why we should have faith in him, and what this means for us today. In John's gospel, the primary focus is on the identity of Jesus as the Christ, as the Messiah. And then John wrote his gospel so that people would, quote, stop doubting and believe, 2027. Believe that Jesus is the Lord's anointed one, the promised redeemer commissioned by God. And his vicarious suffering was the vehicle by which redemption entered into the whole world. John 3.16. The most obvious places that John uses the book of Isaiah is where he tells us he is quoting Isaiah. That's in chapters 1 and 6 and 12. And then only the Gospel of John do we find the great I am statements spoken by Jesus using exactly the same phrase that is used in Isaiah. So first, John 1, 23. John the Baptist applies Isaiah's prophecy to his own ministry of calling the people to repentance in preparation for the Messiah. The Baptist said, I am the voice of one calling in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord. Isaiah says, Isaiah 43, a voice was calling 
In the desert, prepare the way for, one, for the Lord. Make straight in the wilderness a highway for our God. A few verses down, John 1.29, the Baptist again refers to Jesus as the Lamb of God. This description of Jesus is found nowhere else in the entire New Testament, in the entire Bible. This name for Jesus is a reflection of Isaiah 53, 6 and 7, which reads, He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. Thus, by using the same image from Isaiah, the gospel writer describes Jesus as a sin-bearing lamb, emphasizing Jesus dying on behalf of others, not unlike the sacrificial Passover lamb. Then in John 1.32, the Baptist again testifies about Jesus by saying, I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove, and it remained on him. He used Isaiah 42.1, which speaks of my chosen one in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him, and he will bring justice to the nations. In fact, indeed, perhaps, Jesus is the only one that will bring true justice to the nations today. Next, we turn to John 6 where Jesus enters into a debate with the Jewish leaders considering his identity and their tenacious unbelief. The Jewish scholars began to grumble about Jesus and his message because it was a threat to their own authority. Who is this Jesus guy anyway? Where are the authorities here? Whoa. In their own eyes, they flatter themselves too much to even detect their own hate, and their own sin. So in John 6.45, Jesus plainly says, it is written in the prophets, they will be taught by God. He used Isaiah 54.13, which says, all your sons will be taught by the Lord, and great will be your children's peace. The ultimate teacher then was not the Jewish rabbis, but God through Christ. In essence, what Jesus is declaring is that his teachings are the teachings of God. And even so, the Jews still did not believe him. But Jesus is the ultimate teacher from God because he is God. Isaiah 48, 17 and 18, the prophet said, This is what the Lord says, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, I am the Lord your God who teaches you what is best for you, who directs you in the way that you should go. If only you had paid attention to my commands, your peace would be like a river, your well-being like the waves of the sea. Hmm. This raises some questions for us. Who or what is your teacher? Who or what is your ultimate authority? Is it TikTok? Is it the internet? Is it those media hounds who keep telling us what to believe and what to think? Or is it the Holy Spirit who continues the teachings of Jesus in the lives of believers today? What are we teaching our children about God and Jesus? 
And where do you find your peace, your well-being, in this confusing information age? Third, one of the main themes of Isaiah is deafness and blindness. Centuries later, John picks up on Isaiah's themes as he again addresses the issue of belief and unbelief among the Jews in chapter 12. The rejection of Jesus by the Jews is not a surprise. John told his readers that Jesus came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him, John 1.11. This is further explained by Jesus in chapter 12, verses 37 to 43. In this passage, John makes reference to two different Isaiah passages. Even as Jesus performed many signs among the Jews, still they did not believe in him. This was the fulfillment of the words of Isaiah in Isaiah 53.1, where the Old Testament prophet foresaw the rejection of the Messiah. John 12.38 says, no, John 53.1 says, see it's confusing when we mix up these sentences. Isaiah 53.1 says, Where the Old Testament prophets foresaw the rejection of the Messiah, who has believed our message, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Jump to John 12.38, which says, with John's quotation marks, Lord, who has believed our message, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Hmm. Jesus is pictured as the arm of the Lord, an extension of God reaching out to his people, but rejected by those who should have known better. In the next part of the passage, 12, 39, and 40, John explained the reason the Jewish leaders refused to believe. It was because their blinded eyes and their hardened hearts, taken from Isaiah 6, 10. Isaiah said, Make the heart of this people calloused, make their ears dull, and close their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn and be healed. John's echo of this passage is just as ironic. He has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts, so they may neither see with their eyes, nor understand with their hearts, nor turn. I would heal them. So, the decision to reject Jesus as the Messiah results in hardness of hearts, which then leads to greater blindness to the truth. Even the blind man in chapter 9 of John, who Jesus healed, saw what the Pharisees could not see. Again, Jesus uses, Jesus, John uses Isaiah in 1241. Isaiah said this, because he saw Jesus' glory and spoke about him. Of course, this was not a physical sighting, but in John's mind, the people who reject the glory of God in Jesus are basically discrediting, discarding the glory of the Lord himself. That is, John insists there's no differentiation between the glory of God revealed and the glory given to Jesus. Isaiah 33, 8 says, Jerusalem staggers, Judah is falling, 
Their words and their deeds are against the Lord, defying his glorious presence. This is a prediction of harsh judgment on those who defy God and ignore his glory. Substitute whatever names of cities or regions that you would like to in today's world, but certainly judgment is coming. Isaiah 28.5 In that day the Lord Almighty will be a glorious crown, a beautiful wreath for the remnant of the people. John 13.32 Jesus says, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in Him. If God is glorified in Him, God will glorify the Son in Himself and will glorify Him at once. When Isaiah saw the glory of Jesus, what he saw was the glory of God in Jesus from eternity forward. The words of the ancient prophet Isaiah and the words of John challenge us not to harden our hearts and turn away from God. In fact, there are consequences today for those people who reject Jesus as God. But there is salvation and redemption for those who do. We live in a world that is blind and deaf to the word and to the glory of God, to their own detriment. The more people turn away from God's plan of salvation through Christ, the more blind they become to God's truth. The more deaf they become to the warnings of God, the less they hear his voice of hope and comfort. If these are the obvious places that John used the book of Isaiah, we also have a whole bunch of places where John uses Isaiah that is not so obvious. John creates at least seven vivid pictures of the Redeemer Jesus. All of these statements begin with the phrase, I am. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world, the gate, the good shepherd, the resurrection and the life the way, the truth, and the life, and the true vine. Now note that all of these are are told by Jesus in the present tense. Jesus doesn't say, I was, or I'm going to be. Jesus is. And that points to his eternal being, past, present, and future. And his oneness with his Father God. In fact, In Exodus 3.14, God says, I am who I am. This was the very name that God wanted to be known and worshipped by his people. Long before John wrote his gospel, I am statements are found all over the book of Isaiah, especially in the second part. Isaiah 43, 11-13 is only one example. I, even I, am the Lord, and apart from me there is no Savior. I have revealed and saved and proclaimed, I, not some foreign God among you, you are my witnesses, declares the Lord, I am God. Yes, from the ancient days, I am He. Isaiah was one of the first prophets to really articulate the one true God, the Holy One of Israel, and there is no other. 
He is the one true God, Isaiah 65, 16. Then we see this repeated in Jesus' prayer of 17, John 17, 3. Now this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only one true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. In John 11, 11, I'm sorry, 10, 11 to 14, Jesus said, I am the good shepherd, and I know my sheep, and my sheep know me, and I lay down my life for the sheep. God himself is called the good shepherd in Isaiah 40, 11. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those who have young. In John 18, 5, in the Garden of Gethsemane, before his arrest and crucifixion, Jesus asked the detachment of soldiers and some officials, who are you looking for? Using the exact same words, Jesus says, I am he. And when he said these words, the soldiers drew back and fell to the ground. In the end, the unbroken scriptures from Genesis to Revelation tell us that there is spiritual blindness on the one hand and there is healing on the other. There is judgment and there is redemption. We understand that in life, there is both suffering and restoration, rejection and triumph, humiliation and glory, because that's the way it is all the way through the Bible. In this sense, God's sure and fierce judgment, as predicted by his prophets, is the other side of his glorious salvation accomplished for us through his son. Praise God. Praise God. To conclude, I found this quote in one of my books and I wanted to share it with you. The suffering servant in Isaiah who intercedes for his brothers and sisters begins thereby to take their sins on his shoulders and finds no point of return until the task of sin-bearing is finished. Indeed, in the Gospel of John, on the cross, Jesus said, it is finished. Let us pray. Oh, Father God, you are an amazing God. We thank you for your eternal word to us. It is as true today as ever, as it was delivered ancient times. How grateful we are that you sent your word in the flesh, Jesus, to deliver us and to redeem us. We humbly confess, God, that in, our, in the cacophony and the discord of this noisy, noisy world, we can miss your still, small voice. Forgive us and help us to slow down, to see you better, to hear you better, and to love you more. This we pray to the Father, through the Son, and by the Holy Spirit. Amen.